really been looking forward to this series um, on heaven and hell. Uh, in, in fact, I, I planned the series every calendar year. Uh, every fall, I plan it for the entire calendar year. And so this has been on the calendar uh, and in the plan for at least eight or nine months, uh, maybe upwards of a year. And the, the, there's two p- reasons primarily that I'm, I'm looking forward to this series. One is, if you look around pop culture, you realize that the issues of the afterlife of our paramount interest in our culture. Uh, it, it, people want to get a hold of or grab some sort of understanding or some sort of truth about what happens uh, in the afterlife. And so talking about heaven and hell is, is of cultural relevance. Uh, the other thing, though, is, is I feel like that we have a lot of confusion about heaven and hell. And so gaining the, the, the measure of interest and, and the extent of the confusion... I thought it might be good to spend some time uh, to explore these subjects um, because the, the reality is, as I talk with, with Christians and, and as I uh, talk with people of faith and, and I talk with people that, that aren't people of faith, it, it seems that our, our thoughts, our knowledge, our perspective, our opinions, our images of the afterlife are mostly informed not by scripture itself, but by pop culture. That is to say that when we think about heaven, when we think about hell, uh, a lot of what we come to understand and think about comes from that cartoon we saw, that movie we saw, that book we read, uh, that, uh, that one Christian book we read uh, that was on the shelf at the Christian bookstore. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a lot of things that come at us, a lot of information that comes at us. Uh, and I want to help, I want to explore these um, ideas. And what we see from movies and books and, and music and cartoons all pretty much Agree, And so I wanted to give you a little bit of taste. And so rather than uh, show you movie clips or, or uh, read a book to you, <laughs> sounds exciting, right? Uh, I thought that I would show you some cartoons of, of what sort of drives the images of how we think about the afterlife. And uh, so, so here's the first one. Uh, these, are, these are two guys uh, sitting in heaven uh, on a cloud with halo and wings Looking bored to death. Right? Have you ever wondered to yourself, halos, wings, clouds, that doesn't sound all that exciting. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, like, I'm supposed to hope for this, but, but maybe this cartoon is kind of how you feel. Here's the next one. Uh, welcome to heaven. Pick up your wings, your halo, and uh, protection factor 45 sunscreen right here, right? So, you got, I mean, you get your wings, you get your halo, you get your cloud car, uh, but don't forget the sunscreen because it's a lot closer to the sun because it's up there. Okay, so here's the last one about heaven. What? No wireless? Come on, that's funny. Right? That's funny. I thought it was funny. Uh, here, here's some. You guys are killing me here. Listen, heaven is often communicated to be the place where we trade in the best things of life. And we stop at a booth that says, pick up your wings and your halo and your sunscreen here. And we're taught that this is the hope of your life. 
The hope of your life is to trade in all the best things, all the beauty of this world, all the wonder of, of relationship, all the, all the uh, fun of recreation. You trade that in for a cloud car, wings, and a halo. And then you sing the hallelujah chorus, and it never ends. And you have to stand through the whole thing. Right? So heaven is often communicated as where we trade in the best things of life for these other things. Well, hell then is often seen as the place where all of the best things in life are experienced in opposite. So it's like heaven is I sort of give away all the best things in favor of something else. And then hell is all the best things just the opposite of that. And that's hell. Uh, Anybody love the far side? I love the far side. Like, I wish they were still coming out because I didn't discover them until like a year until he stopped making them. Uh, But Gary Larson, author or or illustrator of the far side cartoons, picked up on this, this idea that hell is everything that we enjoy about life, only in opposite. And everything good in life, just in opposite. And so uh, all of the hell cartoons that I want to show you are from the far side. So so, so here we go. Three more, two more, one more. Okay, now five million leg lifts. Right leg first. Right? So like you enjoy exercise, but in hell it never ends. You know? It's like, like your 20-minute workout is just non-existent in hell. you got to keep going. Five million leg lifts. Ready, set, go. Here's the next one. This one's great for all you coffee nerds and snobs. Oh, man, the coffee's cold. They thought of everything. Right? You love coffee. It's one of the best things, right? In hell, it's the opposite. Cold coffee. Right? Some of you are like, oh, iced coffee, sign me up. Don't, don't, don't do that. Right? But here's the next one. Welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion. Yikes, you know? It's like everything you love is the opposite. Coffee! Oh, it's cold. Workout! Oh, it never ends, you know? And so, uh, I, don't, I don't think that we have it quite right. If, if, we trust, if we trust the newspaper cartoons on our theology of heaven and hell, I think maybe we're, we're misguided. Uh, but, but, but the truth is, is that so much of those perceptions or opinions or assumptions that, that go with these cartoons often sneak their way into the church. And we just, we take in this pop culture and we say, oh, it's not really like that. It's not totally like that. But we say, oh, it might be a little bit like that. But you know what cartoon is? You know what the word cartoon actually means? The word cartoon actually means a simplified version of reality. And, and so when we look at these cartoons, that's it, precisely what they are. They're cartoons. They're simple they're simplified versions of reality where, where they barely touch what is real and what is actual and what is true. And so these cartoons actually raise some profound questions. And if you were to ask uh, a, 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 a scope of, of Christian culture and pop culture alone uh, and, and say, what are your primary questions about the afterlife? Some of these might come up. Some of these questions. What will we do in heaven? What will we do in heaven? Or will it get boring? Or this one, do I have to wear a white robe? I don't look good in white, right? I thought some of you ladies for sure would might be, on me, be with me on that. You know, I just, I just it, it washes my skin out. You know, I don't want to wear a white robe. 
Uh, will I know my friends and my family or my spouse? Uh, and then this is one of the most critical questions, I think. Is there a big learning curve to driving a cloud car? Like, like is there a test? Or, like, do I have to get a license? Or since it's heaven, will I just know? You know, like, like they just boot it in my brain, like the Matrix style, you know? Got to slide the Matrix in there all the time, right? Uh, so questions about hell, then. Does the, does the devil really carry a pitchfork? Is there really fire? Uh, will it be fun? Is like, is, like, hell where the party goes, you know? I mean, that's a lot of what we have in our culture, right? Sign me up for hell, baby. That's where the party goes. Those are some questions. And I want to address some of those questions, not just today, but throughout this series. And I want to take a biblical look of heaven and hell. And here's the foundational claim. Heaven and hell are both real. You're going to hear me say a lot of things. You're probably going to hear me say some new things, some things that maybe you've never heard about these subjects before throughout this series. And I hope that you'll join us for all five weeks of this series. Probably you're going to hear something brand new, something that you've never heard before. But you won't hear me say, oh, well, you know, heaven's really great and hell's not that bad. You won't hear me say that. These are both very real truths and realities of our world. There is a heaven. There is hell. And we're going to explore this for five weeks together. My hope for this series is twofold. My hope is that you will learn new truth regarding these subjects and that you will learn to live in light of heaven. That we will learn to live in light of heaven. That's primarily, like, like, like how, what, what is the goal of how this series should shape us? It should shape us to live in light of heaven. That's my hope and that's my goal. Specifically, what I want to do today, then, is I want to look at five different assumptions that people have made about the afterlife and see if they are actually biblical. Five assumptions compared to five truths. Are you ready? Good. Because you don't sound ready. (laughs) Are you ready? Yes. Five assumptions. Okay. Here's the first one. By the way, if you uh, have a smartphone or a tablet and you use the Bible app, you can follow along in there. Uh, they have the live section and you search for us and then uh, pops up there that you'll have all the scriptures and all the uh, notes right there for you. And so you can feel free to do that. But five assumptions uh, compared to five truths about the afterlife. Here's the first assumption. The first assumption that we make about heaven and hell is that heaven and hell are only future realities, that they're only future realities. That is to say that when we talk about heaven and hell, we're only talking about someday back over there, out there, up there, whatever it is, right? We're talking about someday that isn't today when we talk about heaven and hell. But the scripture and the truth is, is that actually, while heaven and hell are indeed future realities, they are also present realities, They are also present realities. And that the gospel is very concerned with how we live our lives today. Um, Because of all the cultural assumptions that we make about heaven, and if you were to take movies and books and cartoons in any form or medium that you want, the common baseline assumption regarding heaven is that heaven is somewhere else it's out there it's untouchable it's it's something that we can't know anything about it's only a future reality but the gospel over and over is not just concerned with whether you're going to go to heaven when you die 
But the gospel is deeply concerned with how are you living today? How are you living today? How is the life of heaven, the things that that personify heaven, this is what heaven's all about. How are those things touching your life, making a difference in your life, being poured out of your life today? Let me give you an example from scripture. Uh, The gospel of Matthew is very good, uh, the entire gospel, for understanding this truth. But it begins in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. When Jesus says these words, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, when I was a kid and growing up, the way that that was always taught to me is that Jesus was telling, to re- Jesus was telling us to repent because the day that you will die is coming soon in the future. And so you need to repent so that you'll go to heaven when you die. Uh, but this is not at all what Jesus is saying. In fact, Jesus is, is saying this, and we get it from the word near. The word near does not mean coming one day in the future. It doesn't mean that. It means has come upon you. If you look at the Greek, the, the word near does not mean, oh, oh, it's, it's close, but in the future, as in like tomorrow or next week is near. It doesn't mean that. It means it's literally near to us or has already come upon us. Or it literally means to join one thing to another. And so Jesus is saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has already come upon you, is already among you, has already been joined together with your life. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? That essentially says that Jesus isn't just talking about sort of the afterlife, what happens after we die, what happens post-mortem. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is right here among us. It's a present reality as well as a future reality. Are you with me? Very good. So, in other words, Jesus isn't saying repent because you'll die soon and you want to make sure that you go to heaven when you die. Jesus is saying heaven is already here and the only proper response to heaven having already arrived is to repent and turn from your wicked ways and then live in light of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying that heaven has come in all of its fullness. He isn't saying that, oh, guess what? This is heaven. Doesn't get any better than this. He's not saying that. But he's saying a slice, a part, the first foreshadowing, the first signpost, the first evidences of the heavenly life have already arrived here in this life, in the ministry of Jesus. And what he goes on to do in the rest of the Gospels is, guess what? He takes people that are sick and he heals them. He takes relationships that are estranged and they're brought back together. He takes people that are possessed by demons and he casts those out so that they're made whole again. He he, he takes people that are blind and he restores their sight. It's the entire ministry of Jesus is saying this world is broken by sin. But the reality of heaven where sin comes undone is creeping in to the present. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus is saying. 
that heaven is both a future reality. Yes, there will come a day in the afterlife when we will experience all the fullness of the presence of God and all the beauty of the life of heaven. But there's a part of that that is available to us today in the ministry of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are interchangeable. And when you read the Gospel of Matthew, uh, if it says kingdom of heaven or if it says kingdom of God, those are the exact same thing. They're absolutely interchangeable. And the reason is because in the first century, the name of God was considered to be so holy, we, it, it's not even spoken. It's not, we don't, you don't even utter the name of God because God is so holy. And so they, they said, well, we want to say the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We want to utter his name, but his name is so holy it cannot be uttered. And so they replaced the word God, the name God, with the word heaven. And so they're talking about the exactly the exact same thing. The problem is because we've been so culturally informed, when we hear the word heaven, we think, oh, that place where you get a halo and wings up in the clouds. And so when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, we immediately have an assumption that we bring to that passage that actually isn't correct. Because we think, oh, Jesus is just telling us how to get to heaven when we die. But actually he's saying the way of heaven, the life of heaven is available to you now. And the only proper response is to repent. That, that turns the gospel into something that's not just like a, a magic card or, 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 or something that you can just sort of say a prayer and get in. But it turns the gospel into something that's deeply concerned with our lives here and now. And so that's a fundamental truth that we have to get a hold of. And so the bottom line is that the kingdom of heaven really means the kingdom of God which means the will and the reign of God, the life of heaven. And so in this declaration, Jesus is not saying something about the future. He is saying something about the present, that the life of the age to come is being pulled into the present in the ministry of Jesus. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. And then Jesus goes on to teach us a prayer to pray that that, in fact, will be a reality. His ministry starts with, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then the disciples go to him and say, teach us how to pray. And he teaches in the Lord's Prayer. And one of the key lines in the Lord's Prayer is, Lord, may your will be done. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a way of saying, remember the word near means two things joined together. Jesus' prayer is teaching the disciples that the life of heaven and the life of earth, that this age and the age to come would be molded into one, meshed into one, so that the life of heaven swallows the brokenness and sinfulness of our world. That's good news. And we know it hasn't happened yet, right? Because you watch the news and you see all the brokenness and the sin and the violence and the wars. And you see all kinds of evidence that the kingdom hasn't come. But if you will look for it, you will also see all kinds of evidence that the kingdom is indeed coming. So, that's the first assumption. Heaven and hell. The assumption heaven and hell are only future realities. The truth is that heaven, both, both heaven and hell are present realities as well. In other words, for what's true about all that I just said about heaven, the same is also true for hell. Where we can experience a bit of the life of heaven here, we also can experience a bit of the life of hell here. And you say, well, how can we do that? I mean, have you ever heard a story about someone who was hurt so deeply by someone they loved and trusted 
When that is, that is them going through H-E double hockey sticks, it's family Sunday. Right? I mean, there are ways of life that we can reject God. And when we reject him and keep him at arm's length and refuse his goodness and his grace in our life, that leads us down a path that will ultimately lead us to hellish ways. Right here and right now. Okay, number two. Number two is the, the assumption is we can't know anything about what heaven will be like. We just have to hope for it. Right? Have you ever heard that? I mean, like one of the most predominant message we ever hear is when it comes to heaven, man, we don't know. You just can't know anything about it, but it's going to be awesome. And so like the best that our imaginations in pop culture can come up with is literally we have not tangent, like, like made a tangent away from halos and clouds and wings. That is the best our imagination can come up with. And so we just say, man, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be awesome. I'm going to get wings. I'm going to be able to fly. I'm a free bird, man. Woo. Right? It's going to be awesome. The truth is, the truth is that Scripture gives us um, a lot of clues and hints of what heaven is going to be like. Scripture gives us a lot of clues and hints and signposts of what heaven is going to be like. But the problem is that the assumption that we don't know what it's going to be like has, is, has either killed or seriously maimed hope in our lives and in the life of Christians. Uh, because, because how can we hope for something that is so unfamiliar? Like how can we literally hope for something that, we, that people say to us, you, can't, you, you don't have any idea what it's going to be like? How, does that, how can that ever produce hope in our lives? Man, I, I don't know what it is. I just know what it's going to, supposed to be like. It's going to be awesome. And so the pictures we're given of heaven, uh, you know, like, like we showed up here, it makes it really difficult to hope for because if we're honest, it just doesn't sound that exciting. Listen to John Eldridge. John Eldridge was, made, uh, was become well-known in the Christian world by writing uh, his book, Wild at Heart. Uh, but before he wrote Wild at Heart, he wrote this book called Journey of Desire. And he says this. Nearly every Christian I've spoken to has, a, has some idea of eternity as an unending church service. And so we, settled, we have settled on the image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, singing one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And then our heart sinks, forever and ever? Really? That's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and we feel guilty because we're not more spiritual. Like, I should be excited about this, and I should be hopeful for this, but in fact, I'm not. And we lose heart, and then we turn once more to the present life to find uh, to the present to find what life we can. That's a quote from John Eldridge's book, Journey of Desire. And the truth is, if heaven is so unfamiliar that we can't even touch the reality of what it's going to be like, then we, we either find it extremely difficult or impossible to hope for it. But the reality is that heaven, we have all kinds of clues and signposts and uh, ideas of what heaven is going to be like uh, from the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as, as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. This is the fullness of the presence of God coming to join humanity. That when we, when we sing and gather together, and we feel the presence of God, and it lifts our spirit and our soul and it encourages us this is just a taste of the presence 
and beauty of God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. Do you long for the day where God will make everything brand new? And then he said, Write these words down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then in verse 8, he gives, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic, the idolaters, liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, for this is the second death. It goes on. And on, and then to chapter 22 of giving us clues of what heaven is going to be like, what God's new world looks like. It is a world of unbroken presence of God. It is a world where sin and evil are no longer present. It is a world where the curse of sin is lifted, where there's a river flowing from the throne of God down the middle of the great city and the tree of life bearing its fruit once a month. And there's leaves on the trees that the Bible says are for the healing of the nations. It's a world where justice and mercy kiss. Think about that. It's a world where justice and mercy kiss. It's, where, it's, a, it's a world where God's will is done all the time, every time, perfectly done, every time. It's a world where the beauty of creation doesn't just point us to the creator, but fully reveals the beauty of the creator. It's a dynamic world that is buzzing with activity, where work is fulfilling and meaningful, and where play is uninhibited, right? Everything in our world is limited by time or money. I wish I could do this. I don't have the time. I wish I could do that. I don't have the money. But in God's new world, we're Work is meaningful and fulfilling, and play is uninhibited. This is good news and a great world that God is bringing about. It is a world where relationships aren't broken or marred by sin, but where each relationship reaches its full potential, where we live in true community with one another. How many of you have a deep longing in your heart for the level of community, and it just seems like you can't touch it, you can't grasp it? Well, guess what? In heaven, in God's new world, that will be cast aside and we will have no one will have anything to be ashamed of and so we'll be able to experience community with one another that is absolutely unmatched on this side this is the world that the Bible points us to. This is the world that is our hope. Listen, church, if we have tried for too long to hope for clouds and halos and wings, and it is time to get a true picture of what heaven is going to really be like and allow the church to lift up hope in this world that so desperately needs hope. Are you with me? I mean, this is the beauty of heaven. This is the beauty of heaven. It is a world where the facades that we place up in front of ourselves, can be torn down because we have nothing to be ashamed of. What was the first point of, first reaction or response to sin in the garden? Adam and Eve covered themselves because they were ashamed. In God's new world, it's an uncovering. It's a removing of the facades because we have nothing to be ashamed of because we're made whole by Christ. This is the beauty of heaven. In other words, I see no biblical evidence for halos, wings, and living in the clouds. Maybe you caught that. 
Third assumption. Heaven is a disembodied, purely spiritual experience. Right? Purely spiritual experience. Uh, disembodied. Like when you die, your soul floats off into heaven, and, and, and then you go and, and live there forever, and it's this great thing. Truth is that humans are not suited for a non-physical existence. In other words, heaven, I think, based on scripture, is going to be a physical place. A physical place. Creation story, there's a particular order. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, physical body, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, you might say, oh, well, that's a bit of a stretch, you know. I mean, that doesn't mean much. But I think the creation story gives us so much understanding about the world in which we now live. And so if we understand that there's, God is intentional about this order, we understand that God first formed a, a physical being and then breathed the, the pneuma of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God into the being. In other words, God did not form a, a being, a spirit, and then give him a body. God formed a body and then gave him the spirit, soul, breath, life, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's, that, that is, in other words, humans have never existed non-physically. Right? Now that raises all kinds of questions that we are going to address in the next two weeks. Okay? So I know that some of you are like, up, up, up. That's okay. We'll get there. Okay? But not today. Not today. But the way we talk about Christianity, we talk about it like this. The goal is to get rid of the body in favor of a spiritual existence um, so that you can kind of float off into heaven. Uh, when actually what we get from the creation story and what we get from Scripture and the New Testament and Paul is actually the exact opposite. Um, and so l- let me say this. I, not only do I think that we will exist in heaven as physical beings, like you could touch and feel and tangible kind of stuff, but I also think that heaven isn't just located somewhere in the clouds, sort of like floating. But, but heaven is, is like here. Like this place. Like creation. Only made new. The veil comes off. The sin is removed. Because when we get descriptions of heaven in scripture, it includes things like dirt and grass and trees and mountains and rivers and wine. And, and it's where people will plant and prune and run and climb and drink and eat. It's very, very physical terms to describe both heaven and the afterlife. And so abandoning everything physical in the world in favor of a spiritual existence is actually not Christian at all. It's actually, some of you have maybe have heard the term Gnostic or Gnosticism. Gnosticism is Anything that is physical, that exists in the physical world, like the you, number one, number two, the chair you're sitting on, or this building, anything physical and tangible is to be suspect. Anything material is suspect and should be abandoned in favor of something purely spiritual, where you sort of reach your spiritual high, or you reach your uh, spiritual connectedness, or, or uh, you know, there's all kinds of terms to talk about it, but this is not a Christian idea, this is actually Gnosticism. Christian idea is that heaven is a very real place where we live in resurrected, renewed bodies, just like Jesus was bodily resurrected. In fact, why would we think, after affirming the bodily resurrection of Jesus for thousands of years, 
Why would we then think that we just, our souls just float off into heaven? When Paul talks about, and we're going to talk about this next week, but when Paul talks about all the time that, that we are bodily resurrected, that our bodies are made new, there's, there's always a very real, tangible physicality to talking about the afterlife. Now, I, listen, I can see it on your faces, and many of you are slumping in your chairs, and you're like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> right? Stick with me, and I know that today will probably raise more questions than it answers. That's why we have another four weeks. Okay? So if today raises more questions than it answers, then commit yourself to being here for the next four weeks, and we're going to help address some of those. But abandoning that which is physical in favor of a spiritual existence is not Christian, it's Gnostic. In fact, every time, right, like we always think about heaven as like, like we float up there, you know, and it's like, it's always like up there. And so, so when we think about heaven, we, we have to go up and we have to float up or, or be beamed up or, or all, all kinds of images, right, to, to get there because it's up there. And, and, and in fact, though, when, when the Bible talks about heaven or eternity, every single time, except for one, God comes down. The holy city comes down. It's, it's like Heaven is where God's future is being stored. And in then scripture, it's like this future world that God has comes down and swallows the broken and sinful life of earth so that heaven and earth are merged and married into one. Make sense? <laughs> Some of you are like, not really. <laughs> okay. But that's what heaven is all about, is the life of heaven and earth being merged into one. So it's not about getting out of here. It's about God coming down here. Remember the dwelling place of God will now be with men and he will be their God and, and, and they will be with him, right? It's this fullness of the presence of God. Now, there is one time where we go up. The only time that we go up is in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul says that we will meet the Lord in the air. But you also notice that uh, in that passage, one verse before we go up and meet him in the air, the Lord is actually coming down. So even in that passage, there's a descent where God is coming to be with his people. Okay. Now on to two assumptions about hell. And I want to cover these very quickly because we're going to do two weeks on on thinking about hell. Uh, The fourth assumption that I want to go over today uh, is about hell. And, And that is that hell is down there. Right, so like, like we always think about heaven sort of being like up there, and then hell is, is down there. And the only thing I want to say about that is there seems to be no evidence in Scripture that, if, that, that the location of hell is near the core of the earth. <laughs> so there you have it. Hell's not down there. Uh, I was watching a documentary uh, that was addressing questions about hell. And in fact, one guy, it was, he wrote the book, um, uh, like 28 Minutes in Hell, um, which was released, coincidentally, like right after a guy wrote a book called 28 Minutes in Heaven. And then this guy was like, oh, actually, I spent you know, 28 minutes in hell. And so you know, he wrote a book about it. And, uh, and he said that he went down like, to the core of the earth. And like, the, 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 like if, if scientists were to drill to the core of the earth, and I'm not real up on the scientific world. Maybe they have drilled to the core of the earth. I don't know. But <laughs> it's not down there, right? So, so there you go. There's no biblical evidence that hell is located near the core of the earth. The fifth assumption, wasn't that one fun? 
<laughs> Some of you are like, more like that. Okay. So, uh, number five, hell is where people do sinful things that are fun for all of eternity. Like, that, that, that's kind of the, like, hell is where the party goes, you know? And, and, and some of us would say, what? But actually, this is, this is a common belief in culture. Like, like, if you really want to have fun for all eternity, then go to hell. And, and I wonder if we've come up with that because our theology of heaven is so weak. Right? It's like the alternative is white robes and halos and wings. And so I'll take the alternative because I, I'll take the other thing. Because I don't want to, you know, I don't look good in white. You know, I mean, it's just like this is a real assumption in our culture. That, that hell is where the party goes after we die. But let me say this. The essence of hell is the absence of the presence of God. Where heaven is the fullness of the presence of God. And God coming to dwell with his people. And, and where the presence that we feel now is just a taste. Hell is, in fact, the exact opposite. Where the presence of God cannot touch you. And you may not recognize how horrible this is until you realize that your life is saturated with the presence of God. I don't, I don't care where you're at on your faith journey. I don't care if you are a saint and have followed Christ for many years. I don't care if this is the first time you've ever been in the doors of a church. There is a truth that your life is saturated with the presence of the good God. And so when you think about hell as being that taken away, then you realize the gravity of the situation. There's this term that theologians call common grace. Common grace is the presence and the favor of God that reaches all people, regardless of their faith or lack thereof. Common grace is the presence and favor of God that reaches all people, regardless of their faith or lack thereof. In fact, the scripture points to this when it says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's a way of saying that God protects and God leads and God empowers and God blesses all people to some measure. You know, those who have placed their faith in him and, 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 and have learned to tune their ear to his voice and, and, are do, and are walking in his ways. They may experience those things to a greater level, but they're not protected. They're not, they're, they're not protected to the point where nothing bad will ever happen to you. You're protected to the point that God will walk through with you through the challenge and all of these things. But the common grace is that your life is, is permeated by the grace and the presence of God. And in fact, I want to say this, that every time you take a breath, You're speaking the name of God. The Hebrew word for God has no vowels. It's it's, it's Y-V-H-V. Yod-Heh-Vah-Heh. And and the the Hebrews used to believe that when we, the sound of our breathing is the sound of Yod-Heh-Vah-Heh. The Heh is the sound of the exhale. And the inhale is the Yod and the Veh. And so they believe that with every breath, you are declaring the presence of God. And hell is the absence of that. Where the presence of God is stripped 
from your life. Sinful acts are not fun. They often are in the beginning, but they have consequences. So hell is when God removes his grace and the consequences of sin are lived out in full force. Hell is where the party goes, man. Sinful acts are awesome. They're fun. Maybe at first. But sinful acts always are attached to a consequence. And if you took the grace and the presence of God away from even from our sin and when we sin, if you take that away, you realize that the consequence of those actions are going to be played out in full in your life. <clears throat> As I said before, I realize that this week may have raised more questions than it answered. And so I really do want you to stick with me over the course of four weeks. We're going to spend the next two weeks talking about heaven. And uh, next week we're going to talk about like the future heaven, right? The, the heaven that we have to look forward to, the source of our hope. And we're going to talk about that, we're going to declare that, and we're going to celebrate that. Uh, and then the next week after that, we're going to talk very specifically about well, what about all the people that have died in history um, that, that were believers and have gone to heaven? Like, look, look, okay, like heaven is here and all that kind of stuff. Okay, 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 okay. But what about like the millions of people that have passed away? Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, and then the two weeks to close this series, uh, we're going to look at different views on hell uh, because there are a variety of views, even in the Christian world and inside the Christian world. Uh, about what hell is and what it looks like and all of that good stuff. And so we're going to concentrate on two views, um, kind of two theological views. And my goal in the weeks on hell is not to uh, necessarily land anywhere, but to offer you information and scriptures to begin to make your own decision and, and form your own thoughts about hell. So that's where we're headed. Let me say a word of prayer, and then we're going to spend some time in response and reflection. But I hope you hear the good news today, uh, that heaven... Is a wonderful world that God has for us. And we need to live right now in light of the hope that we have. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.